This is the Mended Past Podcast with Chadwick Hayward, episode 34. Welcome to MendedPast.com. Let's get back to bedtime. Hi, Pathmenders. Thanks so much for tuning in to the 34th episode of the Mended Past Podcast. This week, I'm honored to be speaking with Anthony Maciello. Anthony had a wake-up call when he was denied for life insurance. It was time to mend his path. He then started a journey towards getting back to better. He has lost over 200 pounds on his journey, and more importantly, he has found health. Join me today as Anthony shares his truly inspiring journey. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Chadwick. I'm really happy to be talking to you. Oh, it's honestly, it's an honor to have you on the show. Um, My wife and I, our journeys really started. Um, well, it started with Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, but the first book we really read was uh, Dr. Furman's Eat to Live. And um, at the beginning of those chapters, as I'm sure you're aware, there's those motivational and inspirational stories. And every time I was reading them, I would tear up and I, I, I would think, oh my God, like, look at the miraculous recoveries people are having. More people need to know about this. And so that that was a big impetus for me to really start the Mended Paths podcast. And so my understanding is you were one of those inspirational stories. I am. Yeah, it's a funny story. So thank you. And I love what you're doing. I I truly believe, as you do, that really getting this out there and letting people know that it's possible and showing them that regular people like us can, can do this and that we actually are happy living and eating this way. It's not like it's some kind of a prison thing. <laughs> is is really making this so much more accessible for people. So I, I love it. Yeah, so I did. So when I started my journey, we'll get into that. I read the first version of Dr. Furman's book, Eat to Live, the first revision or whatever it's called. Yeah. And and obviously it changed my life and we'll we'll talk about that. And then Years later, maybe two or three years later, I had submitted my success story to his website. And then maybe a year after that, I got an email asking if they could use it in the second edition of Eat to Live that was coming out. And I was pretty psyched because going into, you know, when I picked up Eat to Live, I knew absolutely nothing. And then having my story featured in the second version, I was like, wow, like I did something, (laughs) you know, it was a pretty huge accomplishment. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but Dr. Furman lives about eight miles from me. Oh, wow. And yeah, he's right here in New Jersey. And I didn't know it when I read the book. And by the time I was in his book, I had still never reached out other than just emails to the general contact info on his uh, website to anyone there. But then years later, I actually bumped into him. And uh, I guess I could tell the story now because it's kind of funny. But um, there's a large, like a mega gym that's not too far from here. And my son was taking a gymnastics class and I just went to pick him up and we were walking up the stairs in the gym and Dr. Furman was coming down the stairs next to us. <laughs> and I looked and I kind of like got a little bit starstruck and I looked over and I said, Hey, are you, are you Dr. Furman? And he just looked at me and he goes, yeah, who are you? Like really fast. And, um, I said, my name's Anthony. I'm a success story in your book. <laughs> and and he's like stopped in his tracks. He's like, what? I said, yeah, I'm in like, I forget what it is, chapter eight or chapter nine. And uh, he goes, which one, which one? And I said, I'm Anthony. I lost 160 pounds and, and got off medication. He goes, oh, 
He's like, and you work out here? And I couldn't even think anything. I said, no, I'm picking up my son from gymnastics. And then that was it. Like <laughs> my mouth, my tongue was tied. There was not another word that I could say. And, uh, and he just said, well, well, it's great to meet you. And, and uh, he just walked away and I just said, thanks. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but it was, I, I don't know. I, I look back on it and, and since then I've seen him several times now, but, um, you know, we, we laugh a little bit about that. And I think it, I think it's a funny one, but you know, but that is back awesome. to the, yeah, back to the stories. So, yeah. I think it's great. I love, I love that he included those in, in eat to live. And I think, I think it makes it much more accessible for people, especially such a kind of hardcore slap in the face kind of uh, material that I really appreciated about reading the book, but knowing how much work it was and, and how kind of scientifically based, but then also seeing kind of the real world side of it. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, that's what I like about his book is it's very, it, it doesn't shy away from the medical jargon and it, it's very scientific in its uh, its delivery. And uh, yeah, that was the inspirational stories at the beginning gave it a personal touch. It, it made it relate yeah. it to the, co to the common person, essentially. Yeah. So let, let's start what, what started your journey. So your journey started really in 2006. Um, but there was a couple of events that kind of led you to want to change uh, near the end of 2005. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So the first thing that happened, so my wife and I had moved to New Jersey. It was a year or so later. We were starting a family. So we had our first child, our first boy, our first son was born, and I went to get a life insurance policy. And when I did that, whenever I did anything that had to do with going to the doctor, even donating blood, I always got nervous because I wasn't sure what would happen because my whole life um, doctors had been telling me that I needed to lose weight, that my cholesterol was high, that, you know, these, these other things, my blood pressure was high, you know, all, all these things. And I just always avoided doctors, except for when I had to see them. So when she's pregnant with my first son, or just shortly after he was born, I went and got a 20 year term life insurance policy, and I was in a very high risk category. So, you know, I, it's, that's fine, because I got it, I had to pay a few extra bucks a month, and, you know, just moved on with life. Yeah. But then when she was pregnant with my second son, I went back to get another policy because we, I just needed more coverage at that time because I had more responsibilities and, and all these things. And at that point in time, I was straight denied. And I wasn't denied a you know, whole life or whatever. I was denied a 20-year term life insurance policy. And I was 33 years old at the time. And that kind of rocked my world. Um, it really stopped me in my tracks. 20 years from 33, that's 53 years old. You know, I start doing all of this stuff in my head. I'm like, wait, this company who has all this data and these huge, I just imagine these huge rooms full of computers so that they can plug in the information that the physician who comes to my home to collect this data from or, or that I go to see collects this data from, they plug it in and then it spits out an answer at the end and it says, don't insure. And I know what that means for them. I mean, they're in the business of selling policies, not turning yeah. people away yeah. because they want, they need the monthly premiums. So, so, so I didn't know what to do, but I knew I, that's the point where I really knew I had to do something. And what that really did for me was it, it made me start thinking. And when I thought about it, 
because on the surface it's very easy to justify everything that we do in our lives. It sure it sure was for me. You know, I was starting a family. I did have a home. I did have a job. I was married, a beautiful wife. Everything seemed like it was good. But there are things that are easy to ignore or things that I don't pay attention to, like the feelings of depression, like when I'm sitting at night alone or when I'm lying in bed just kind of thinking and reflecting on the days and stuff like that and and just wondering, you know, what, why is it that I can't get an insurance policy or why do I have to always feel like I was sick? Why did I have to grow up yeah. as the big kid? Like, and, um, well, yeah. and at this point it, you were, you were like 360 pounds. Um, yeah. So we should, maybe I should back up a little bit and give you a little background if, if that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Sure. So growing up, I was heavy since the fifth grade. I mean, I remember it clear as day. I went to school in the fifth grade. My friend said, I went back after the summer. My friend says, Anthony, how'd you get so fat over the summer? He just said a very matter of fact. I really honestly believe now that it was just a question. He wasn't trying to rag on me or anything, but he was, he wanted to know and he acknowledged it. So I identified myself as the fat kid then from, from that year, I wouldn't say that event, but from that year on. So I, I was big my whole life, but I was kind of functional also. Like I did do things, you know, I did know I did, was able to skateboard sometimes. I was able to go roller skating. I was able to do these things. So I wasn't like to the point where it was stopping me from doing things, but it yeah. just made things hard. Um, I just felt like I had to work a little harder than other people. And my brother wasn't overweight and my friends weren't overweight. And I kind of, that made it pretty easy for me to just think I was different. So fast forward from there to 2005, when I was denied this life insurance policy, by this time, like I said, I'm 33 years old. I weighed 360 pounds. I had a 54 inch waist. I was on medication for high blood pressure. I had recently been diagnosed with sleep apnea and I would get migraine headaches at least one a week where I kind of had to shut myself down, go lie in a dark room because no matter what kind of medicine I took or nothing I could do to stop the pounding in my head, other than just turn off all the lights and lay down and just try to sleep and hope that I felt better when I woke up. Yeah. So those, those things were tough. What was your diet like at that time? So, so since I was heavy from a, from a young age as a kid, I had dieted, you know, probably 20 or 30 times. And sometimes it worked pretty well for me over my life, but it never lasted. And when I say it never lasted, probably never more than like six to eight months. And then, and then all the weight would come back. So in two, in 1994, I actually gave up alcohol and gave up meat. So, and I stuck with that, but the weight, and I lost weight for a little while, but then it all came back. So at this point now in 2005, I'm a 360 pound sober vegetarian, but, but what I was eating was cheese pizza or even pizza with vegetables and cheese on it. And I was eating French fries and I would still eat ice cream. The, you know, I, I would have, we would have a pint of chubby hubby ben, ben and Jerry's ice cream in the freezer. And I would tell my wife she didn't need any cause she already had a chubby hubby <laughs> speaking about, speaking about myself. So I don't, I mean, I did also eat vegetables, you know, we were, I was a CSA member, you know, I would, 
I was doing community supported agriculture, you know, where you pay up front for a share from a farm. Okay. And then whatever they grow throughout the season, every week, whatever's ripe, they pick and you go pick up your share from the farm. So I was doing that, you know, I, I was trying to be conscious, but I'd let so much other stuff slip in that it was, um, it was a mess. So I don't know how to really just describe it. I wasn't necessarily a fast food junkie. I'm, I'm the only fast food I ever ate was pizza. And that's usually from pizza shops, not even from chain restaurants. Yeah. But um, I wasn't eating burgers. I was I was eating French fries, stuff like that. I would eat grilled cheese sandwiches, you know, that kind of stuff. Lots of stuff that I know now is not very healthy for me. But at the time, seemed like lighter or healthier options. Yes. Yeah, so but they weren't working for me. Still lots of saturated fat and trans fats and cholesterol and all that stuff that comes with the heavily concentrated in dairy. Exactly. And I didn't realize at the time how much, you know, that could be even much more concentrated than the, than the meat that I was giving up. Yeah. yeah. And so you also had an experience at the end of 20, uh, 2005 um, with your your son as well. Do you want to yeah. tell us a little bit about that as well? Sure. So so I was denied the life insurance policy. And, and um, really, now I'm in this mode where I'm paying attention to my life. You know, it, when I fly on an airplane, I have to get the seatbelt extension. When I'm at work, I have to wedge myself into a chair. If, it, if I sit in, a, in an armchair that's in a conference room or something, and I have to kind of be in pain until I get up. And as I'm noticing all these things, um, the, the local carnival comes to town, the, the church fair. And my younger, I mean, my older son was about 16, 18 months old, something like that. And we were walking around the fair. I was walking, holding my son. And my wife was walking next to us, and there was a train ride. And I think it was a Thomas the Train, or he was into Thomas the Train, but he's pointing at this train, and he's getting super excited because he thinks he's going to go ride on the Thomas the Train ride, or he wants to go ride on the Thomas the Train ride. I mean, this yeah. is what I'm, I'm kind of interpreting. He's making noise at this point, but he's not explaining to us what he wants to happen. But I could tell. So I'm holding him against my chest. His head is by my shoulder. And, uh, you know, my arm is, is around his back and, and we're, his legs are around my, around my waist and we're walking towards the train ride. So we get close to the entrance and just naturally, without any thought, I go to pull him off my chest. And, and he's grabbing my shirt. And I remember he's like, he's like pulling my shirt like he didn't let go. And he's like wiggling. So I know he doesn't want me to let to take him off my chest. Yeah. And I believe he wants me to take him on the train ride. But I need to pass him to my wife because there's no way I'm going to fit on this miniature ride. This isn't even a regular ride. This is a kid's ride. So, so I take him off and I, and I give him to my wife. My wife gives the guy the tickets and then they walk in. And by this time, you know, he's not pulling for me anymore. It's not like he was there, you know, looking back with these dark eyes saying, Oh daddy, take me on the train. He, he's still focused on, he's going to go ride on this train and he's excited. So, but then the attendant, tells me, he says, you have to wait over there because there were other people in line. So obviously I can't just stop and stand there at the entrance. Yeah. But he said, go stand over there uh, and wait. So I walk over there and I realize I'm standing outside of a metal gate. It's a metal gate. And I'm looking in and my wife, my pregnant wife at the time is sitting on this train with my son who's just excited as he could be. And he's happy and the train starts and they're going around in circles. And while the train is going around in circles, I'm watching and I'm already in this mindset. So I'm just thinking, 
I'm thinking, wow, I can't take him on the ride. He wants me to take him on the ride. I said, is this really the kind of father that I'm going to be for the rest of my life? Is this how I'm going to raise my children? And then I see my pregnant wife sitting on there. And I said to myself, is this the kind of husband I am? You know, is this the kind of partner that I'm going to be? And, and where does this go from here? And, and that, I think, was what really hit me and what really made me think that I need to change. That's not the kind of father that I want to be. I don't want to be like a bystander watching life happen while I literally stand outside some metal fence. You know, like that, that might as well have been a, a, like a cage holding me in, like yeah. preventing me from doing things I wanted to do. And um, it's a really so hard think, hitting experience. Yeah, I think that was really that was really it for me. That's when I really knew, okay, what what am I going to do? I was like, Anthony, figure this out. And so from there, you you made a New Year's resolution. You decided that that's it. Something has to change. So what did you do? Yes. Yeah. So I just said, I said, what I did by the end of 2005, I set a goal. I said, I'm going to lose 50 pounds in 2006. And, you know, again, my analytical mind goes, I'm like, okay, I could, I should be able to lose five pounds a month. That's 60 pounds for the year. Let me give myself a little bit of slack. Let me go 50 pounds for the year. That would still be really good. And, uh, and, and that was my goal. And I didn't really have a plan. I didn't know how to do it. Again, I mentioned I, I lost weight several times, but I never had anything that worked. So I wasn't trying to go by information that, or experiences that I already had had. So I did say that I would give up sweets and soda as a New Year's resolution. So starting January 1st, no sweets, no soda. And I stuck with that, and I was going to watch what I was going to eat. And that's like a common saying around here. Oh, you're watching what you're eating these days. Hmm. And, uh, and, and so that's like portion sizes or like were you trying to yeah, limit certain Yeah, it just meant or... trying to make healthier choices. Okay. And it meant not overeating and not snacking, not having the, the desserts. You know, I'm not, I'm not having that because I'm watching what I'm eating, you know, or, or I'm trying to watch my weight or something like that. Okay. But, but yeah, but there's no real plan. It wasn't, it wasn't really a plan. And that proved itself about three months later when uh, I was kind of tracking my progress and everyone in my family knew what, knew what I was doing. I mean, the not eating any dessert and not drinking any soda was easy and obvious if everyone around me is having, you know, whatever cakes and, yeah. and, and things like that that are going on. And I'm saying no. So everyone knew what I was doing, but I checked in on myself and you know, in three months, I had not lost a single pound. And, uh, you know, that was just as hard as being denied the life insurance. That was just as hard as not being able to take my kid on that ride and having to watch and experiencing that experience that as an outsider. Because that really made me feel helpless. I'm like, well, it's very easy at that point in time. It's what do you tell yourself? And I think that's so important. Do I tell myself, I can't do this? You know, if, if I say that, then I have an out. You know, or do I say, look, I'm just a big guy. This is just how I'm made. Yeah. But, you know, but it was, it was so important to me that I didn't do that. 
you know, I had, I, it was so real, it was so big, it was so important that I, that I had to figure something out. So I just started scouring the internet. And what was popular at the time back then was all these high-protein diets. I mean, they're still popular today. They're a little even less than they were back then, at least in my world. But everything then, I mean, Atkins was in full, full um, swing, and everything was, uh, you know, protein was very important to be counting on the fronts of packages and with the marketing material and, yeah. and, and all this stuff. And I was a vegetarian. And something in me wasn't ready to give up being a vegetarian to try to just to lose weight. Like, I didn't really believe that that was healthy. You know, I had given up meat and I had success with it for, you know, whatever, in eight months or so, but I didn't want to go down that road. So I just started looking for how, you know, vegetarian weight loss, you know, things like that. And uh, I was searching on Amazon and that's where I found Dr. Furman's book, Eat to Live. Okay. And, um, and I bought, so I bought Eat to Live in March and by the time my son was born on May 2nd, so I think two months later or so, I lost. I had lost 30 something pounds. Oh, wow. Like 34 pounds. Yeah. So you so obviously read the book pretty quick. I read it as fast as I could. And, but I didn't wait until I finished reading it to start making changes. I mean, you get the gist of it pretty quickly when yeah. you read any of these, you know, you know, eat more vegetables, eat less of, eat less crap. I mean, <laughs> now I can say eat less crap. At the time, I really didn't know what was or wasn't, wasn't crap. You know, there, there's still things today that very common questions, you know, about like vegetable oils or yeah. olive oils, and, you know, the, these kinds of things that I had never thought about before. But it comes across pretty clearly on what with what you need to know when you read any of these books, Dr. Furman's books, especially. So I started changing and I didn't start by giving up stuff. I started just by adding. I knew I had to have a huge salad every day. I mean, it says it in that book a thousand times. <laughs> salad is the main dish. right? I mean, yeah. That just comes right out of my head now. So that book and many other, many others. So I, and I had never eaten breakfast before. And I remember I was walking to the cafeteria at work with a colleague of mine. And um, I said, I'm reading this book on how to lose weight. And did you know you could eat as much fruit as you want and it won't cause you to gain weight? And he just looked at me and he said, duh. <laughs> I said, how come no one ever told me that before? I didn't know that. Like, I never realized that. I would skip breakfast and I would just get a coffee with cream and sugar. Okay, yeah, <laughs> like, I didn't eat weight. anything. I drank that. It's probably, yeah, exactly. I was watching. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it grow, go up. <laughs> I wasn't watching it, it go away. So, so I did. I started adding that. I mean, I learned how important it is to have lots of fruits, lots of vegetables in my diet. I needed to get those things in. So I almost counted that as like a, a goal. Now, instead of starting to figure out what I was not going to eat, I was figuring out, okay, how am I going to eat a lot of fruit and vegetables? And so did you find that that crowded out the cheese and the processed? And Well, I didn't, you know, I was going pretty aggressively. So I didn't just wait for it to crowd out. I was purposeful on that too. So every day I would try and not like every day, like writing it down, but I started with, you know, having fruit like pineapple, melons, like what, whatever fruit they had, lots of blueberries, you know, whatever they had on the, on the, little salad bar at work. Yeah. I would have fruit for breakfast. And then I would always at lunch, I would always have a huge, like a meal size salad before I would eat whatever else I would eat. So in the beginning, even before I read the book, like if my friends were going out for pizza for lunch at work, I would still go and I would still order the same two slices of pizza 
that I ordered, you know, before I, I got Eat to Live. But I would also get like an entree size salad also. Oh, okay. So I would sit there and I would eat the salad first. So this is where what you're saying, the crowding out did come in. And then and then it didn't take long at all before I started asking myself, okay, why am I getting two slices of pizza? I'm not even hungry anymore. And then it, that went to one slice of pizza. Then that went to one slice of, of um, they had like this pizza with just chopped tomatoes on it and, and just like two little dollops of cheese that I could very easily pick off. Oh, okay. And then, so I'm eating a big salad. Then I'm eating basically a slice of bread with diced tomatoes and probably some olive oil on it. And then and I'm picking off the two, you know, the two slices of cheese that they put on there. And then at that point, at some point I was like, well, okay, I don't even need this anymore. And now I'm fine with just a salad. So I did, it sounds like a transition, but that whole transition period was probably, I don't know, two months or so, yeah, maybe pretty three rapid. months. Like, yeah, like I was going for it, you know, I, I did, I would say what I did was transition gradually or transition. I transitioned, but I transitioned aggressively over a short period of time. I wasn't going to do a two-year transition. I wasn't going to leave a lot up to chance. I knew after reading that book what needed to be done, you know, where I needed to get to, and I was trying to get there as fast as I could. Okay. I so also didn't want to give up. I didn't want to fail, so I wanted to keep myself set up for failure, and if I would have told myself on day one, no more pizza, I probably would have failed. Because okay. Yeah. Because as soon as I had pizza, then all those things come back, those feelings of depression, those feelings of, oh, I can't do this, this is too hard. So I never said no pizza. So once, once I got to the point where not having a slice of pizza, if I was out somewhere and that maybe that's all there was, or you know, if, we were, if I was in a crunch at home, we would maybe order that vegetable pizza with no cheese on it. And that probably lasted more like maybe two or even three years or something before I started minimalizing that. I'm, I'm not saying I don't do that at all today, but back then it was more while i was transitioning it was probably more frequent yeah that's pretty typical i think yeah 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 so what were your results like for that first year then so you lost 30 pounds in the first two months um yeah. did you meet your goal in 2006 yeah so by the end of the year i lost 90 pounds oh wow and uh so i kind of blew away my goal <laughs> like it, it went fast and I forget how long it took, but it wasn't more than a couple of months before I got off my blood pressure medication. I was working with an amazing doctor, just my regular family doctor who I had had for years, but seen the least amount of times as possible. Yeah. I really started going with to her. She's like, you have to come back. You have to keep coming back because she wanted to know how I was progressing. She wanted to help me track my weight. She wanted to make sure all these other issues weren't going to be a problem. And she wanted to make sure that she was ramping down my medication um, appropriately, yeah, safely. So she was really fantastic. I mean, incredibly supportive. I hear stories where, you know, these doctors go into denial and, and they don't want to hear it, you know, what people are doing. And she wasn't like that at all. So I feel very fortunate in, in that regard. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, and, and she was really curious. Every time I went in there, she was excited to see me. And then, and then uh, yeah, so I got off the medication. I lost the 90 pounds. I don't really remember when it happened, but I stopped having headaches. I couldn't even remember when I was having headaches anymore. Uh, I was sleeping better. You know, everything was really, really working well. Oh, that's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. And so you alluded to it a little bit with um, how uh, things went at home. So did your did your wife uh, adopt this way of eating as well at the same time? or? 
No. She was very supportive as well, but it wasn't about her. You know, I didn't try to change anyone. I was really trying to take care of myself. I'm kind of a careful person in that way where I really, even to this day, I don't really like to tell people what to do. I mean, in any situation, I like to help people do what they want to do. I mean, that's something I love to do, but it was never even an issue. She was supportive, so I didn't have to, we didn't have to make it an issue. You know, if she was doing the grocery shopping, you know, she knew what I needed and that's the stuff that came in the house. If we were on the road and we needed to stop somewhere to eat, we knew that we needed to find some place that I eat. I mean, I had back then, if we stopped, this wasn't with my wife, but I was out with friends and they, they were tired of stopping where I wanted to eat. They really wanted to go to Wendy's. So we went to Wendy's and I ordered a salad. And you know, at the time, a salad at Wendy's was maybe like three ounces. <laughs> so I had to go back up and order three more salads. That's awesome. <laughs> Something like that. But I did it. You know, I sat there and I ate like four salads and everyone else had whatever they had. But there was no way that I was going off track. Yeah. So, yeah. You had so I lost committed. 90 pounds. Of, exactly. Yeah, I was committed and I, and, and I was on course because once the weight started coming off, I mean, I was watching it carefully. I weighed myself very often, especially once I started losing weight, because I found it very encouraging. And when I didn't lose weight, I just really wanted to learn and know. So my goal from the beginning, as you, as you remember, was five pounds a month. So I didn't really care if my weight went up and down, but by the end of the month, I really wanted to make sure I hit that five pounds. And if that meant I had to really you know, push hard the last seven days, the last 10 days, something like that, to make sure I hit that mark, I did whatever it took. And then the next month, I didn't want to come right back. So I would push again into the next month and make sure that it stayed there and then just keep progressing that way. And okay. I lost almost exactly eight pounds a month for uh, the whole time. That's the incredible. whole time I lost weight for a total of 20 months. And then the weight loss stopped just as suddenly as it started. Like I literally, August of 2007, so it went all through 2006, Went through August of 2007, uh, I weighed 197 pounds. September, the end of September, I weighed 197 pounds. <laughs> October, 197 pounds. Like it stayed there and it freaked me out. Like I was like, how did this happen? And finally, after being being level for three months, I finally called the insurance company back. And, uh, and I said, I want, to, I want to apply for life insurance. And, uh, and they, they came back. So this is two years later and I got insured in the preferred category. Oh, that's awesome. And I made, yeah, it, yeah, that felt really good. I mean, especially with the experience that I had had with the life insurance and, and other doctors. I mean, I used to go donate blood when I was in college and stuff. And I would just cross my fingers that I wouldn't get a letter in the mail that said they weren't able to accept my blood. And I would say more often than not, they weren't able to accept it. Oh. And it would be because of, circu I don't know, liver enzymes or, or, or something else. But for whatever reason, they couldn't, use, you know, they couldn't use my blood. So I was used to hearing bad news. But hearing good news was, was uh, awesome. That's awesome. It really was. So yeah. did, did your, does your wife uh, eat a whole food plant-based diet now? Yes. And you raised and, your, cause you raised your kids in, in this way of eating as well. Yes, we did. So... I don't know how long it took for her. So we, we lived in Baltimore for a while and she got really into steamed crabs. Now I was vegetarian when we were there. So we were used to, I would take her out to get her steamed crabs, you know, or we would go out with a small group and I just wouldn't eat anything. I would sit there and she would eat the small crabs and, 
and I would certainly make up for it afterwards with uh, wh wherever I stopped. But um, when we moved back to New Jersey, for example, we would have the crab test, and we would get a couple bushels of crabs, and we would invite over all our friends, and we would have that. So going into this, I mean, we were still doing that. Even after I had switched over, even after I had finished losing the weight, uh, we were still doing those things. Um, but we weren't doing them as much. I mean, she wasn't doing them as much in our daily life. She was always a pretty good eater, and she was always fit and, uh, and of a healthy weight. So she didn't have that motivation that, that she needed to do something. But I never stopped reading also, you know, and I just kept learning so much more. And I realized this wasn't something that was just for me, that this is something that's important for everyone who wants to be healthy, whether, you're, whether your poor health shows in your belly or not, um, that this is good for everyone. So she did, she came on board, she transitioned more gradually. But I think probably after three years, maybe four years, I would say she was fully transitioned. And, okay. at, that, and at that point, there was nothing around for the kids to eat that wasn't, um, <laughs> you know, a whole food plant-based. And it wasn't a problem at all. I mean, my younger one was just starting to eat solid foods, and uh, my older was very easy to transition. And even in the beginning, we we um, never served, you know, we always were very conscious of what we ate. We never got even, um, like, baby foods and stuff that had meat. Like, they would have chicken and rice and stuff like that, but we would try to avoid those and get the vegetable ones. Oh, okay. And, um, and then probably the worst thing that we would do would be, like, broccoli omelets. Like, we would, we would cook... Uh, egg and cheese and broccoli omelets, and we would send him to preschool with those to, to eat because we would cut it in slices and he could hold that and eat it. And then my wife would, when they got, when they were, I don't know how old they were, they were really young, but she would take them for sushi because she enjoyed sushi. I wouldn't go eat sushi with her, but if I would be traveling for any reason or I wouldn't be around, like they would go out and they would get sushi. So I have pictures of these little kids holding this raw fish, eating it, which, <laughs> which it was cute, <laughs> but, but not really, you know, it's not really what we want to be doing. So, so we did transition them. And again, without kind of incident, um, they, they switched as well. And I would say they probably switched after my younger one, by the time he was like three or four years old. I don't know. Okay. I don't know exactly, but something like that. And now they're 11 and 13. So it's been years since, uh, so what are the, some of the challenges you face? Cause uh, like kids birthday parties or school trips, yeah. there's like junk food everywhere. It, it really, really is. So we talk a lot. Um, the kids watched Rip Esselstyn's uh, Ted talk. He talks about plant strong and healthy living. And he talks about slaying this five headed dragon and, uh, and, at a young age, like that, that was something I did. I showed them stuff. I mean, we, we educate them. We don't try to just, you know, there's no hard hand in this house, really. Everything that we do is a discussion. Everything we do is a learning experience together. And, and, you know, I really want them to know. So I would show them things. They would, they've had occasions to come and see me share my story and see people come up to me afterwards and thank me and really appreciate, you know, me, me doing that to help them and how it inspired them. So so they know what I'm doing. They know how it's important. They have since met and they know Dr. Furman and his family. And they know how, you know, uh, how many people he helps and how important it is. So, so just keeping them in the know was helpful. And then also for me, I don't want to make it a huge issue for them. I don't want them to feel like this is something they have to think about 24 hours a day. 
I think it's easy for me during my transition. I mean, all I thought about was how was I going to eat healthy in the next, you know, at the next meal? Yeah. You know, I had to do so much planning and almost like obsessing. And I didn't think there was any need to do that to them. So if we are at a birthday party, when they were younger, it was more normal. They would say, I'm not going to have any dessert here or I'm not going to have any birthday cake. Will you make me something when we get home? Okay. And I would say, sure. So we would go home and I would, you know, blend up some bananas and some fruit and even some cocoa powder, you know, maybe even some peanut butter, you know, make it, you know, something that, that was a treat for them. But, um, but still I mean, healthy. I, yeah. But it just a, a healthy, yeah. A healthy substitute for them. Um, we were always very careful not to reward with food. Um, so we never did that. Like we, we never had celebrations where we say, Oh, you know, let's go get ice cream. Okay. You know, we, we would, you know, when they were younger and even probably going on a couple of years, you know, we would take them out for ice cream or for sherbet or something like that, but it wasn't because they did something good, you know? So, so we tried to never make that, um, those memories of, of eating these, uh, you know, quote unquote treats or these desserts as to be associated with something positive that happened in life, you know, it's a meaning, you know, we didn't want to make that link. Did you have a substitute for that kind of reward? Um, like we try to do experiences. I'm like, what do you want to do on Saturday? You know, you tell us what to do. You know, oh, okay. and, and we just go out and do something together as a family, or um, or I don't know if they want to watch a movie or they want to do something special. But but time. You, you're making me think about it. Maybe I don't reward my kids enough. <laughs> <laughs> but they're doing all right. It sounds like you're happy, rewarding so. them with time and experiences, right? And isn't yeah, that, that yeah, the most I think that's probably thing? it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, now they're a little bit different They're I wouldn't say they're really into peer pressure. We're in a pretty small school. Everyone knows us, knows how we eat, but, but if they're at a party now and there's pizza, like I'll catch them. Sometimes they're, they'll grab a slice of pizza and they'll peel the cheese off and throw in the garbage and leave it. And other times they'll just bite it. And I'll just, you know, I will ask them about later. I'm like, you know, how was, how was your lunch at the party? I'm like, yeah, it actually wasn't that good. Yeah. You know, and I kind of drop it at that. Because if they're telling themselves it wasn't that good, like I consider that mission accomplished. Yeah. You know, because they're not going to, it's not going to affect them uh, health wise. Um, and as long as they're not like, if now, if they were saying, oh my gosh, it tasted so good. You know, I can't even remember the last time I had something that tastes like that. Then I would go a little bit more into, okay, we need to work on this mode. Yeah. But, um, but if they're telling themselves that it wasn't that good, then I'm like, okay. And then we just go on, you know, go on about our day because I'm really trying to set everything up my life and, and my whole family for, for, you know, kind of our long term. Like we're trying to guide it in the right direction. We're not trying to make a sharp U-turn, you know, you know yeah. with everything. Like, like we don't have to do a full course correction because they took, you know, five or six bites of a, of a cheese pizza. You yeah. Know, the only thing that would scare me is if I felt like that was opening up new doors. So well, it doesn't yeah. happen enough where I'm worried about that. If you eat well enough, then your body can handle a small assault uh, acutely yeah. as long as it doesn't become a chronic problem, which leads to the chronic diseases, right? Exactly. And for myself, I know myself, I don't, I don't even want to crack that door. You know, I, that slope is so slippery for me that I'm not going near anything. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm staying on track and and I enjoy every minute of staying on track, but there's no reason that I need to tempt myself. You know, I know what's in this head. 
<laughs> and I know what I'm capable of and, and I'm just going to make sure I'm taking care of it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so you said when uh, you met with Dr. Furman, he, the first time he asked if you went to that gym yeah. and you were like, Oh no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I see so now that you do a bunch of running. So when, when did you add exercise back? Yeah. So it was my second new year's resolution. So after I lost that 90 pounds, um, I had tons of energy and I had never played sports. I had never exercised. I mean, the things I did was I skateboarded. I mentioned roller skating and I snowboarded. I actually loved to snowboard. Um, even at 360 pounds, I was snowboarding uh, whenever I could, wherever I could, you know, big mountains. That's a lot of momentum. Down here on the East Coast, yeah. <laughs> but I would get tired, you know, my leg, my knees would be shot after a run or two, especially if it was like a powder day or something, like I would be hurt. But um, so, so after I lost that um, first 90 pounds, I said I was going to start, and I'm going to start running. My wife always ran. She ran cross country in high school. And when we were dating and when we were married, she would go out for a run occasionally, but maybe once or twice a week. And she did it as therapy. She said, oh, I, you know, I'm feeling stressed out. I really need to go for a run. She would go out and she would run. Then she did run a marathon. A friend at work said, was joining the Roadrunners Club and, uh, and said, I'm, I'm going through this marathon training program. You want to run a marathon with me? And she just said, sure. So... I was experiencing that with her, you know, while she was training for her marathon. And then I went and watched her at her marathon and uh, saw it maybe five or six points. It was the Marine Corps marathon in Washington, D.C., because we were living down there at the time. And um, and I thought it was cool, but I never imagined that it was something, something that I could do. But now I was ready and I was going to become a, a runner. I just made the decision. That was my New Year's resolution. And I didn't have any real goals in mind other than just to start running. And what that looked like in the beginning was I would go for a walk. Actually, it was January, so I was on the treadmill. We, my wife wanted a treadmill, and when we went to buy a treadmill, this was years earlier, I said, well, let's get a really good one so that I can use it. Yeah. Uh, so Best of intentions. I had to get a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had to get a treadmill that was good enough for a 360-pound person, and it was big and it was expensive, but we still have it today because it was a good one. So... I went on the treadmill and I would just walk and then I would run and I would run for, you know, however long I could. And then when I couldn't breathe anymore, I'd just slow it down to a walk. I never stopped. I just kept doing that. And I would just do a half hour. And maybe that meant, I don't know, I ran just a little bit, maybe a total of five minutes of that half hour or something at first. But it progressed really quickly. And I got to the point where I could run a quarter mile. You know, the treadmill has the lights that go and like, they look like a lap on the track. Okay. Right? So yeah. I know that's a quarter mile. So I would, I would push it and I could go a quarter mile. Then I'm like, okay. And then I would take a short break. So the shake, the breaks got shorter and the runs got longer. So, and then I could do a half mile and then I could do a mile. And then just about the time I could, and then at this point, um, yeah, just about the time I could do three miles, I signed up for a 5k and the whole family went, my wife and kids. And we, this was my first race. That was the first time I wore a number in a sporting event in my life. Oh, cool. Like maybe maybe since like fifth grade basketball or, 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 no, I'm sorry, like third grade basketball or something at the rec center or something like that. But, uh, and I was like, wow. And I, I realized that, but I, I ran that first 5K and I ran it, I think in um, 27 minutes or something like that. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. So, that's so I was not like, a bad wow. time. And, 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 the, and the, one of my friends from work, 
he said it was it was after work. It was with the running club, and he said at the starting line, he goes, "Anthony, you ready for this?" I said, "I hope so. I have no idea what to expect, but I've been running on the treadmill, <laughs> and we'll see how it goes." And uh, and so I was happy, and and I felt good the whole time, and I was happy with that time. Not that I knew a whole lot about the times, but um, I knew I wasn't last, and I came through and I finished, and uh, it was just a cool experience. You know, I'm out there actually. So now I felt almost like I'm on the other side of the fence. You know, I'm the one doing it. I'm not the one watching my wife run the marathon. I'm not worried about, you know, do I need to help her get a water or do I need to encourage her or high five her when she comes by? You know, like I'm the one who's out there. And, uh, and uh, that was cool. And runners are amazing because when you go to these events, everyone's buzzing around. It looks like bees, like everyone's going to the, to the bathroom. They're getting some water. They're going to the registration table. They're running something back to their car. I mean, it's like a bunch of hyper people <laughs> that are moving around. And with all the energy I had, I'm like, this is cool. This was cool energy. There's a really cool vibe at a race. There really yeah. is. And everyone's so positive and, and they're all out there doing it. You know, it's like no one's, it's, it's not like going to watch an event. Everyone's going there to participate. And so, so I knew I wanted to do more of that. So I continued running 5Ks. But, it, but aside from races, I kept running more. So I wanted to see. I just kept running further and further and further. At this point, I wasn't taking breaks, but I would just see how far I can go. A little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. And later that year, I, um, there was a race called the Philadelphia Distance Run. It's changed now. I think it's a rock and roll race or something. But it was a half, a half marathon okay. in Philadelphia, which is about an hour from my house. And I asked my wife, I said, do you think I can run a half marathon? And uh, at that point, I had not ran 10 miles yet. You know, I hadn't broken double digits, but I was running. This is September, so this is um, just, you know, less than nine months after I could run you know, maybe a quarter mile or less. <laughs> so, so I was like, I think I can probably do it. And the race wasn't filling up. So um, I said, well, I'm going to go out this weekend. I'm going to see if I can run 11 miles. And if I can run 11 miles, then I'm going to come home and register and I'm going to run it next weekend. So I went out. I ran the 11 miles. I felt great. I remember I ran over some uh, bridges, like some overpasses. Yeah. And I was I was sprinting them. And then I would run the rest. So, like, I mean, I really, I felt light. I felt great. By this time now, my weight was gone. I was under 200 pounds for the first time since, you know, long before high school. And, uh, or maybe, yeah, maybe early high school, but something like that. So, so I came home and I signed up. And I, again, I had no idea what to do, but I knew what pace I had been running because at the time I had one of those Nike plus things on my oh, iPod. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, so it's I was tracking app. it. So I knew, what, I knew what my paces were and stuff. So I, um, I just put in my pace and that, you know, I found out, you know, they put me in a corral and stuff like that. So I drove myself to Philadelphia really early in the morning and I walked over to the race and I picked up my stuff and, uh, and I got in my corral and I'm like, I'm kind of in the middle or maybe I'm even a little bit towards the front of this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to see how this goes. And, um, and I did it. So I was just hoping to finish my first half marathon, but I ended up finishing, I think an hour and 47 minutes. Oh, so awesome. I just, yeah, just barely over an eight minute pace is what it worked out to. And, uh, and it was awesome. We ran through the old part of the city. We ran up along the lake, you know, it finished right by the Rocky steps. There were a lot of people who ran right through the, um, 
through the finish line and ran right up the steps of the Philadelphia Art Museum, and it's like famous from the scene yeah. in the Rocky movies, you know. That's wicked. You, you, yeah. So I did not do that, <laughs> but uh, but I finished the race. I got my medal. I'm like, wow, that was amazing. And then I went back and I got my car, and then I just drove home, you know. But like, it was just a day, and uh, and I don't know. I mean, I look back. I'm like, wow. Like I progressed amazing. Like if I wanted to you know, step up my game right now, I think it would take me a lot longer to make that kind of progress. But I think the changes that my body were going through, the way my whole body, my muscles, everything were working at that time, um, and they're still working like that now, but I guess I'm already, at, you know, kind of at some level. But I don't even know how I was able to do that. Like, I would never have been able to uh, guess that I would have been able to do that. <laughs> I was super happy about it. It was fun. Exceeding your own expectations. That's awesome. Yeah. That's my new job now. Yeah. <laughs> Exceeding my own expectations. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I usually ask my guests uh, before I close if they had some advice for a path mender who was either like, sitting on the fence or just starting their transition. What would that advice to them be? Yeah. The first thing I'm going to say is you have to decide. And by decide, I mean, you have to make it important to you. I, I look back a lot now and, you know, I wish we had another two hours because I have a lot more things to say. But what, what made this work for me? I think having that, that one-two punch, maybe even that one-two-three punch in the beginning was really critical to me sticking to this. You know, I needed to get that life insurance policy. I needed to do that to feel like I was providing for my, my family. Um, then... I needed to be able to be an active father. I needed to be able to be part of this kids, these kids' lives, right? And, and third, I didn't want to feel depressed anymore. I didn't want to feel like a failure anymore. You know, with, with, with um, going those three months and not being able to do it and those feelings of depression that come back and stuff. So those three things made it really important to me and, and they kept me on track. I used those as anchors throughout my whole journey and and there's no hiding from the life insurance company, you know, like <laughs> I could, there was no faking it. I could have waited till my kids got bigger and went on the adult rides and maybe I would have fit on some of them and, and it would have been fine. You know, if I, if I would have told myself it doesn't matter, then I could have justified it out, but I didn't, I told myself it did matter. So I think that having some really important reasons why you need to make the change, like doing that introspection work and figuring it out you know, why? Just ask yourself and answer the, answer the question, why, 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 why? Keep doing it until you find something that you can really grasp onto and then support yourself. Don't tell yourself, yourself you can't do it. Like figure out how to make it work. Yeah, that's, that's great yeah. advice. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah. so much for taking the time to talk to us today. You're welcome. I really enjoyed it. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. For me, so yeah. And, and thanks again for what you're doing. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mended Pass podcast with Chadwick Hayward at www.menditpass.com. See you all next time. Visit menditpass.com and get back to bed now.